This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, on the Zoom and uh, on Facebook and Torah Anytime. And, and please feel free to become members of any of these things. Uh, give a click, give a share. You know, usually when you hear a class, you think of people. So when you think of them, that's when you click the uh, share button. Uh, the more people who can be in the, um, with their cameras on, the better, please. So Abigail, Starla, Naomi, and Shandy, feel free to turn on your cameras. And Shia, if you're anywhere in that room, it'd be great to see you. Um, no updates here in Israel, other than things you'd see on the news anyway. Uh, you know, it's, it just looks like a nuclear fallout, you know, outdoors. Um, I haven't been out today. But it's just like totally, um, yeah, it's just totally, uh, crazy. I don't know if you, it's like this in America or wherever you may be. Um, if it's like, looks like a nuclear disaster, but, um, but that's just the way it looks around here. Um, so we're going to, um, just fix the camera up here on Facebook. Uh, Blue dots are so unruly. Oh my gosh. Okay. Hopefully I got it right. Yeah. Someone's microphone on here. Mute your phone. Not a great sound right now. Um, okay, Hisham. Um, so we finished Nishmas Kolchai. And, uh, so we're going to move on. Um, the prayer I think I'm going to share with you today is, uh, quite a powerful one. Um, we say it every day in, um, a little quieter out there, please. We say it every day in, um, in, at the end of our prayers, after Shimon Esrei, we get to a place that's called, uh, Ashrei Uvalitzion. And, um, so it's within the realm of Uvalitzion. And um, I'm turning to it now. And uh, so I'm going to share with you these words. And we, I'll play it for you also in a song. Um, a lot of songs, like these words are very meaningful to the Jewish world. They're kind of, it's kind of become an anthem of pride as a Jew. And, uh, so, see, I'm almost there. I just, I'm using a Shabbat sitter, so it's not where I'm used to looking for it. But now I got there. Um, one more page. There. So the words are, the words are both. I'll tell you all the words. We're going to focus more on the following words after that, but uh, we're going to look at these for now. Um, so the first thing is we're saying we're we're saying that uh, uh, may God be blessed. Um, who and this is all in Thanksgiving here. 
So we're saying, may God be blessed. One thing, I'm just fixing the uh, Facebook thing here. I'm not having an easy time with it. I have a bit of a dexterity issue going on right now. Okay. Hopefully that does the trick. Um, so we're giving thanks that God created us for his glory. And that is the whole purpose of, of everything is, um, don't forget on a cosmic level. Remember these classes, practical spirituality classes are, are kind of coming from a Kabbalistic perspective. And what does that mean for us? That means that, that everything you've been thinking, like that God wants, I guess, from creation. I don't know. I don't know how to say it exactly is it could be there's something else going on totally. And that's usually the case. So, so when it says, uh, um, blessed is God who created us for his honor. Now, from a totally secular perspective, you'd say like what God's like an egomaniac, like he needs us to honor him. He created us for his honor. You know, so that sounds weird altogether. And we, and we know in Shevrabachas in, um, in, uh, you know, when you do Shevrabachas after wedding, the first, um, the first bracha is Shabran Lichweda, that he created us for his, for his honor. And, and that's peculiar, you know, you, we say it all the time, you know, you hear it at weddings and it's like he created us for his honor. So, so he's lacking honor. <laughs> There's nothing but God, you know, before there was a creation, there, there is nothing but God. So like, how could he be lacking honor? And the answer is, Rachel, you come fix this camera. I'm just not doing so well with it. Thank you. The camera keeps kind of going to other places. I don't know if they, we need an extra glue dot, maybe uh, another one on the mirror. Thank you. Everyone just hold on one sec. My daughter's said the I'm more or less lined up. Should we create another glue dot also? Or? Thank you, Swim. Should be good? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, anyway, so, but if you think about it, is there any honor to God? Is there any honor to God without a creation? It's, God's just God. Without anything else. But when there's a creation and the people in the creation can like figure themselves out enough to actually connect back to God, well then that's, that's God's glory. Now the weird Kabbalistic part, that's what I was saying. These classes are steeped in Kabbalistic stuff. So the fact that God's giving himself through us is a little weird. You know, there's a great muscle, a great uh, um, analogy that my Rebbe, uh, Rav Shon Shachman Friedman shares is that um, there was once an old lady who used to bake cookies and she would give those cookies to to a kid who would every day when he got home from school ride his bike over to this old lady in the neighborhood and she would open the door and there he was. This was like routine every day. 
And what happened was she got too old to make the cookies and it just wasn't possible. She, so the boy came to the door because he's in his routine and she's like, I'm sorry, I can't give you the cookies. So the boy went home puzzled and perplexed and sad. And, and he says to his mommy, like, no cookies today. And, you know, she's like, hey. so she says, wait, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. I'm going to make all the cookie dough and I'm going to put the cookies out on little platters and stuff like that. And, and, and then I'll cover them with baking paper or something. And, and you're going to sneak over her, uh, you're going to sneak in behind her house and get them into her fridge. <laughs> the kid likes this idea very much. And of course sneaks behind the old lady's house and puts in a bunch of trays of cookies into the, uh, into her fridge, goes to school. You know, the old lady woke up, found the cookies in the fridge, baked the cookies and, um, the kid comes to the door and there's the cookies. And so the kid's back in business and he's got a, you know, he's got a very nice routine set up here where he can continually get his cookies every day at 3 PM. That's the end of the story. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, the, the nimshul, that's a mushful. The nimshul of the story is that, is that we're basically every time we honor God with a bracha, with a tefillah, with a mitzvah, with everything we do, a kindness and, Everything we're doing down here, but we do it for God's, in God's name and for God's sake. All we're doing really is handing him the cookies he baked. Which is like, and again, I'm really, I know that sounds weird and almost a little, um, it almost sounds bad. You know what I mean? Like it, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, what are we like? What are, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, what is, but uh, that's why I keep saying that the Kabbalistic perspective requires um, this class. You know, and normally anyone can just come on this class. I mean, you can be some teenager on Instagram and come to this class. But but the perspective of of these classes of practical spirituality are are it's diffuse thinking. You know, when you're doing math or science, so that's obtuse thinking, like you're really focused in on what you're looking at. Whereas Kabbalistic thinking is diffuse thinking, and and so let's reel it all in to understand this lesson here is that the whole creation is, is Lichvoide. The whole creation is in God's honor. He's, but he's honoring himself through us. But there's one little spot that's called you, <laughs> meaning your own ex- experience of self and your own experience of free will, your own experience of life and, and, and ultimately choice. And when you choose to bake the cookies, so to speak, when you choose to make a bracha, not robotically, and, and I heard today in a, another beautiful video, I've just seen so much. We've all learned so much through this crisis. The, um, but one of them was, it's easy to pray when everyone's praying. Like if you if you by rote go to shul and you're in a room with 50, 60, 100 people who pray, you know, after a while, you're not praying. You're on autopilot. You're just on a conveyor belt that goes from the beginning of prayer to the end. And... And the, um, and if you're a room in your, if you're a room with, in a room with every day, your schedule is that you're in a room with hundreds of people learning Torah. Well, you're learning Torah. You know, like, like that's just what you're doing. So God brought us all home now. Oh, he said another thing is that if you're like super nice outside, but you're a bit of a jerk in the house. Yeah. So, so that's another idea is like, it's easy to be nice out there when like the, the name of the game is nice. You know, and if you're, if you're, um, if you get dressed every day 
and like act like a mensch, you know, meaning just in your clothing, your hair, you know, how you get dressed every day and do your thing. If that's all for the outside, like what do you, so he's asking that, that rabbit was asking, what are we all doing this week and last week and the week before and next week? All that's left is just you, you and your family. And what's your relationship to Tara? And what's your relationship to prayer? What's your relationship to, and you know, you can scrap it all for a little while and, you know, like really look at it. I'm not saying you shouldn't put on your tefillin. I'm not saying you shouldn't have your, your daily basic, but, but like, you know, what, what are we all about? You know, and, and, um, and to just rethink it and make it real, you know, cause how much of us, how much of our character has just been ghostwriting on our public interaction and, and how much of our character is, is really built up. You know, the, the way they say it in, um, how you know a person, like, you know, in the serious Torah community, people work, you know, people work and they, and they say, you know, like if I didn't have to feed the family and do all that, I'd be learning Torah. Except what happens when they retire at 65, 70, whatever. You, what's the acid test? What do they do the following day? You understand? What do they do the next day? If they're spending their money they made now on cruise ships and, and, you know, cruising around the world and, uh, jet skiing all day. Well, then we know what was really going on with them all the years they were working. They were waiting to go jet skiing. If on the other hand, they, you find the guy sitting and learning. So then you understand what he was doing all that time, meaning he was learning the whole time. Oh, what do you mean he was learning? He was working. No, he was working because he had to feel his family. But had he been able to, had he had the money, he would have been sitting and learning. Now that he's retired and we see he's sitting and learning, that means that all the years of working is as if he were learning. He gets reward for all the years of work as if it was Torah study because he was supporting his family in Torah and supporting his family to live a Jewish life. And so it turns out the whole thing was Torah. So this virus has given us a chance for all of us to just kind of check in with ourselves and see what we're all about. And um, uh, anyway, but back to God's God's honor is that the whole thing is just God ultimately. Um, and this again on a very broad Kabbalistic level is God um, giving to Himself, God giving to Himself via us. And us choosing to do that. So we got free will going on here because we are choosing to do it. And then, uh, and then, you know, how much of your day is there? You know, how much of your day is recognizing that you're being created right now? You know, can you imagine if at the end of your day, you had a time clock that counted the seconds? You ever seen those fast clocks? You know? It's doing milliseconds and seconds and minutes. And, and you got a score at the end of every day. How many times you thought about the fact that you're being created way beyond what you deserve? You understand, like none of us have earned our existence here. This, your consciousness inside this body is a pure gift. The fact that you may be suffering is something you got to deal with, but you know, and obviously it deserves attention. But, but you know, given that you're not totally depressed and and full of complaints and suffering and agony and and just you know, as long as you're you're, you're generally okay. How can, how would our score, how would your score be at the end of the day? If you, when you hit your pillow, there's a little thing on the wall of how often you thought of that which sustained you throughout the day. How much of your thoughts were towards your sustainer? 
now I'm not preaching here because I, I would be, you know, I'd score pretty low. Obviously I have my dedicated times to thinking that, but you know, anyone who knows me as a rabbi knows that I'm a total scatterbrain. And, uh, you know, like this class will probably touch about 20 topics in the, when I'm really just trying to teach this prayer here, but the, uh, in the, you know, I don't know how my score would be with thinking about our creator, but that's the name of the game. Kabbalistically, that's what we're doing here. We are, we are created to be in a relationship with this creator and the more we're in it, the better. And now I know people in India will spend like long periods of times with dedicated, highly disciplined minds will spend a lot of their time focused on you know spiritual important spiritually important things um we on the other hand are not meant to be sitting in indian style all day you know we're not that's not our job here as jews as as it says that the reason god created the world was to to create a dira betachtonim it means to have a dwelling place dira means apartment a dwelling betachtonim in the lower worlds so if, if you divorce the lower world and go sit on the top of the Himalayas, well, God didn't get his apartment. You know, he didn't give him a dwelling. And the, and the biggest iceberg commandment in the whole Torah, you guys know what an iceberg commandment is? An iceberg commandment is where you see it just kind of, you know, it's just like sticking out of the water a little bit like that. You know, there's the iceberg. And you're like, oh, let's figure we're on a cruise ship. I'm like, oh, look at that cute little iceberg. But meanwhile, what's underneath the water is like a 30,000 meter mountain of ice. Yeah. So it's cute little commandment. Guess what the cute little commandment is in the Torah? The cute little commandment is called be fruitful and multiply. And in fact, it's the first commandment of the whole Torah. You know why God made that the first commandment? You figured when you'd read that, when you'd keep reading. Now, the that little commandment that looks cute enough and certainly fun to do, he it it causes everything. And you'll notice, by the way, those people living in the Himalayas, they're not doing the fruitful multiply thing. They've taken monastic vows and are celibate, and there's no fruitful multiply over there. Yeah? And so anyone who's married, you know, as a Jew, you know, with a big family, they're just like, yeah, like, no brainer to be spiritual sitting on a mountaintop celibate. Like, like you know, congratulations. You know, it's, but let's see you be spiritual with a bunch of Let's see you be spiritual with a bunch of kids in diapers and, uh, and, uh, you know, and every other disaster going on throughout the morning and, and, and then pay for them all and, and, and still be able to, to connect to your spouse after, you know, you're both run ragged from either paying for it all because you're working or she's working and, and, or taking care of the kids themselves and now be spiritual. And that's what, that's a dwelling. That's a dwelling for God in the lower world. You know, and that's a dira betachtonim is can you be spiritual like that? And then, of course, as a major commentary on single people who are too old to be single. And of course, go on longer. It's not my fault. They just haven't found the right one. Yeah. But uh, you got to look yourself in the mirror and say like, what am I up to here? You know, because you're running some kind of racket that you're probably not willing to talk about or admit, but you're running some kind of racket there. And, uh, 
and it's just conveniently working out for you to, um, to not have to deal with the uh, myriads of, of, of complications involved with the, this iceberg commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, humanity itself just ripped that thing off of themselves in, in the end of the sixties with birth control, which was, which was, which was called the sexual revolution. And, and they just said, you know what? To, to hell with that mitzvah, you know, like to hell with that God, you know, and we're just going to, we're just going to just do our thing and, and not ever have to deal with that level of responsibility. And you will watch, like literally you can watch a, a directly correlated as, as that hit, there's a direct correlation of, of a, a learning to detest, to despise responsibility from then on and to the point where today, you know, it's very likely that someone with their 1.2 kid, you know, that the 0.2 kids, you know, up in his, he's 38 years old with long hair on cannabis playing video games, you know, in his bedroom that he grew up in. His parents can't even evict him because it's their son, you know, and the, and so, you know, we're, we're just, and there's a whole bunch more that happened as a result of that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go a little deeper into that just because I'm crazy. So to go a little deeper into that, that little revolution that happened was that because of the seriousness of playing with fire when it came to uh, potentially having children, meaning becoming pregnant in this case, um, because of that, that highly volatile issue of becoming pregnant and now dealing with children. And, um, the, uh, so what happened was women were, were a little smarter about, a little smarter about their um, relationships with men. And what happened for, until that time, for the last thousands of years, a woman, uh, you, you ever heard the term no ticky, no washy? Yeah. So you didn't put a, you didn't put an engagement ring on there and then a wedding band afterwards. I Meaning if you don't put an, if you don't put a, an insurance policy on her hand, sorry, you know, it's like, I'm not an idiot, you know, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin my life, you know, you're cute, but you're not that cute, you know, and, uh, you understand, so that's how things went, and, um, but came along, came along, uh, you know, and, and by the way, this is all like 1960s, and it's like American licentiousness, European licentiousness, all the men are just doing whatever they want, because they don't have the issue. That's an issue on women. It's not a, it's not a men's issue. And so the men can act like creeps. And while the women have to deal with that, you know, heavy duty responsibility. And therefore for thousands of years, they were always guarded carefully. We guard themselves eventually. And, and, um, you know, once they got above the age of being married off, which is the last like maybe 60 years. And my grandma was married off, uh, as my parents' generation, my father's now 80, 90. But, um, but he married himself off. So that was the shift for Americans. Yeah. And, um, anyway, so, but what happened the second that the women said, you know, why do we have to be, you know, this was like feminism at its worst. It was like, why do we have to be, uh, these good girls while the men are acting like creeps? We want to be creeps too. And so they, and so as soon as birth control hit, so then they got all creepy, meaning they all got uh, licentious, 
let's say, to do whatever they want, you know, and they're now licensed to do whatever they want. They're not held back by the responsibility that we come with, with, um, with a physical interaction like that and uh, meaning uh, intimate interaction like that. And, and then, but here's the thing is from that date going forward, another major phenomenon in society was men stopped buying. Why buy when you can rent? You understand? You know, for the price of a, a dinner and that went, and then after a while, it was just the price of a ticket to a rock concert, you know, meaning you just gonna, you can show up single to the rock concert. So like, why, why buy when you can rent? And ever since then, it's been rentals. And, uh, and, and meanwhile, like, this was all like, you know, you have no idea the power of the women at that point. They were so excited for themselves and they didn't realize that they had put the final nail in the coffin, meaning, meaning of all the cards they had been holding close to their chest. And there are many more. I'm not going to discuss them now, but of all the cards women had held tight to the chest for all these years, that was the one card that they never let go of because of the physiological reality of, of uh, pregnancy and childbirth. And so, and when they dropped that card on the table, everything changed, everything changed. And I can tell you the amount of people in, uh, in Manhattan, uh, you know, when I first was, uh, when I gave my very first class in Manhattan, you know, as a young whippersnapper rabbi from age, I was coming to, coming to Manhattan. Coming to teach, teach class, someone's mic's on. Uh, your mic. Uh, so you can mute your mic for now. So um, anyway, when um, I don't know whose mic's on, but I'll mute your mic if I can. No, I can't mute your mic. You mute your mic. Good, Elliot. So anyway, um, I went to teach my very first class in Manhattan. For me, that was like so exciting, and I was this young rabbi and. And I had a whole, you know, amazing Shabbaton set up with great titles and everything. And I'm so excited to meet all the young kids, and, you know, they're figuring everyone's like either right out of university or maybe they're still in university or, you know, those young professionals in their twenties. So anyway, I get in there. There are 200 people in the room and the youngest was like 40. And I was like, huh? Who are all you people? Like, did I get, I went outside and checked the address. Like maybe I'm in the wrong place here, but there they were, you know, 200 singles, you know, inside the, uh, this net that Asha Torah had cast for, uh, you know, the, the, the kids out there in New York that maybe they would somehow get into the net of, of Jewish literacy and pride and excitement and inspiration and, Anyway, and by the way, New York, just to be fair, Asian New York had amazing, amazing, amazing outreach for years and years. There was incredible things going on there in that, in that branch on 83rd. I think it was 83rd. I don't know if I can ask any of you guys, but just such classic things took place there. I have great stories from that, that address. And, um, anyway, so I had to switch the whole Shabbaton up to new topics because the topics just weren't their topics. Um, but what I can tell you is over the years, of teaching to the people in the Upper West Side is is that um, what happens is eventually, you know, the clock starts ticking and you're like, whoa, you know, I, I think I forgot to get married, said the men and the women there. And, you know, I, I, I think I missed something in the process of life and I have to actually, like, deal with this. 
So when they, when they turn around to like actually date to marry, what they find is a gigantic used car lot. You understand? It's a gigantic used car lot. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that derogatorily. What I'm talking about is I'm being very specific in that the heart, the heart is not fooled by, you know, modern liberal post sixties world. The heart gets attached to every person that we connect to. And if that, that doesn't go anywhere, meaning even though the mind says, Hey, we're free. We'll do whatever we want. You know, it's, it's the new millennial, you know, like, like, you know, sexual freedom or whatever. The, um, the heart doesn't know that the heart gets attached. And when the heart gets attached to someone who doesn't earn or have consequence, for that attachment, which is what marriage is. Marriage is heavy consequence. For ma- ma- marriage is heavy consequence for heart attachment. And you know what that does? That's amazing is that it gives your heart somewhere safe to really be and really be connected because, you know, no one's going anywhere here because the, the consequence of divorce is just way too expensive. I don't mean just financially but it's just way too big a price to pay. Meaning, meaning our hearts can only really open up when there's hell to pay. If it doesn't work out, that's the only time the hearts can, can open. And, um, and that's why it's just a little too convenient to be in a regular relationship. And that's why I always tell, I always told um, girls that, that any guy who's interested in you, you should slap you know, just slap them. And, uh, and the, and they're just like, what do you mean? And, the, and they're like, you know, cause they're really doing their best to be and that someone should be interested in them. And, and the, no, just slap them. Okay. And, um, and, the, and that's the famous line of Woody Allen is, I forget what it was exactly. David Hirsch probably could do better than me, but it was like, um, he, his was like, I would never join a club that would accept me. <laughs> I forget that uh I forget but you you get the gist of it like I would never Groucho Marx I would never oh, want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member <laughs> I would never want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member and the same thing meaning you're you're such a you're such anyone who likes you in your current um setting you know, it's not the kind of person you want to be married to. And, and for that reason, you, you want to really be growing and growing and growing. And by the way, that's for all of us. And I wonder if that's even for us married people. Like, like, am I someone my spouse would want to be married to? And if not, like, what am I doing to be that person for her? And, um, anyway, but that, but that's basically an idea. So, so for example, uh, that it would be important to a, a woman or a man to be, to have someone show interest in them. Well, what about you so interesting? You know, if it's your looks, slap him, you know, so that's not going to be the right path. So looks, looks, looks isn't the, uh, that's not the angle you want to take, you know, so, but it's part of things. So you you can't dismissed looks altogether. You know, we all have to, you know, we all have to brush our hair in the morning. Um, there's, 
Okay, so back to our our prayer, Broch Elokinu Shabran Lechvoida, that blesses God who made us for His honor, and it's our greatest honor. It's our greatest our greatest honor is to to take the life that He's given us and focus any of it back to Him. So whatever it may be. You know, like, for example, um, you have musicians who become observant and they always have to put out, like, let's say they're not really great musicians and they're not really great songwriters or anything like that. But that's what they were doing before they became observant. Now they're observant. And what they do is they're, they're like, they always got to put out one last album. And what is that album? That's their offering to God from their past. And it's, you know, it's really dorky God rock, you know, too obvious lyrics and just unlistened to a bowl. But you know what? Every time one of those guys comes up to me and often my students and they're like, look, I, I put out an album. I always purchase it. I always purchase that album because that's his offering. That's his offering to Hashem. And, and that's, he, he created us. He created us to, and so what can you give God other than the cookies he made? You know, he's the one making them. We got to be involved a little bit and say, hey, you know, like, what temperature should we put the oven? Oh, 250. Okay. So, and he even gives us the instructions how to do it regarding the generic things we do, like, like uh, prayer or mitzvahs and stuff like that. No, those are generic. Those are, those are like every Jew has to do that stuff. But, but even your tech, your, like the creative musician who wants to put out an album, like that's our offering to God. And, and what a pleasure to do that. And, and now going back to Sheva Brachas, this is the first Bracha of the Sheva Brachas. Is that, so what does that have to do with this? And, and the answer is, is that now that this new family has, is setting up for a life together. Now that this family is setting up for a life together. So, so let's set things straight here. And now I'm going to say a little something about matzah. Matzah is just flour and water. Okay, it's the coronavirus. You know, it's just it's just you at home with your family. Like it's simple, simple, simple. Every single complexity that's been taken away from you in your life, all that's left is simple. And that's matzah. Now, why does matzah appear at the foundation of the Jewish people? Because think about it, the Exodus from Egypt on our way to Sinai in fifty days is our that's the genesis of our nation. You know, that's what we did. And so we got to start it with simplicity, with clarity, with full clarity. It's just flower and water, flower and water. And you, everyone knows that you marry someone who's a bit of a vision. That's that you, everyone marries Rachel. Ladies also, when you marry a man, you're marrying Rachel, you're marrying a vision. And then you, you wake up to Leah. You understand? Everyone wakes up to Leah and the reality of who you married and the reality of your life. Okay. Everyone wakes up to Leah. And, and, uh, women also, you know, we all wake up to like, oh my gosh, this guy has gas. And the, <laughs> I wasn't going to laugh until I saw David Hirsch's face cracking up over there. So anyway, the, the, we all wake up to that, to that realization. And then, and then we have to, and then we have to work. Like that's when the work begins. And that's what, what, um, but that's the truth. You married, like, you know what you married? You married a big fluffy Shabbos challah. That's who you married. You married the vision. 
you know. But have you ever seen a really fluffy Shabbos challah from a real Habisha bakery? Yeah. So, but I mean, the majority of it's air. It's just, it's just hot air. Just hot air. That's not what your stomach's going to get. And that's what you're going to chew. But your stomach's going to get the actual food. That's, that's the truth. Your stomach's going to get the truth. You're, you're going to buy the air. And, and that's cool. You know, that's great. You know, fluff it up, puff it up, but not in a foundational way, not when it's foundations of something. And I, I can't tell you the amount of couples I had to counsel because this family said this about their child and that family said this about their child. I'm talking about match, match uh, arranged marriages. So like these, this couple didn't even really know each other. It's just that they heard all these great things and then, and then like they get married and then it's like the truth. But instead of a bond, it's like this. And I'm meeting many of these couples. I'm telling you, I've met many of these couples 15 years later, 20 years later. I've had couples 25 years later and more who this is their marriage never got to there. And the reason it never got to there was because they married. They married the leaven. They married the rise. They married the the fluff. They married they married the 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 lies of the family names and the dynasties and the you know like this Hasidic dynasty doesn't pass wind. So so they and then they wake up to the truth and and then when they wake up to the truth they're they're just like. There's no bond. Why? Because the foundation wasn't true. Foundations have to be true. And you all know this as a fact. I mean, they, they, you want, like, for example, uh, I don't know what Yardin's work is over there, but I see him working somewhere. Um, what are you doing over there, Yardin? Oh, you're, you're, uh, you work in an iPhone shop. Don't I know you, Yardin? You seem so familiar to me. Yeah. So, um, but you work for some company or it's your own business? Thumbs up for your own business. Oh, he's going to unmute his phone. Oh, it's not your business. So, but you're, there are certain truths that were set up between you and the boss there. And while you work, the reason everything's going effectively is because you're doing what you said you do. And he's doing what he said he'd do, which is pay you. (laughs) You understand? You're both doing what you said you do and it works. Showing in numbers, how many months or years, how many months you're working there. Or if it's bigger than that, if it's more than the, yeah, about like two years. Yeah, he's two years. And why are you? Have you ever worked for anyone else in your life? Keep your mic on. You ever worked for anyone else before? A few, but mainly it's just been cell phone repair for the past decade or so. Okay, but the other people you worked with, was it ever two years? No. Yeah, something truer happened there. There's a more of a there's a matzadika relationship here with yeah, this particular more, place. I'm not saying you're not going to move on. Much more what? Much more religious man. Oh, much more religious man. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thanks. It's nice to hear some lushen tov about religious Jews. You know, observant Jews. That's nice to hear, especially when CNN's main article internationally was about. Jews not keeping the, the, um, the, you know, the, the instructions of the coronavirus. Did you know that? 
you can, yeah, I don't know if you can still click on this. If you can click on it, get a screenshot. It's going to be historical because that's a blood libel. That's straight up blood libel. You got an entire, uh, entire population, entire population of a country worried whether they're going to live or die now. And the, we've been told very clearly the way you will live is if everyone keeps the rules. And then you print that Orthodox Jews don't keep the rules internationally. So what's going to make you die now? Answer, Orthodox Jews. Now, how many Jews are on the planet? Point zero, uh, zero, uh, oh gosh, I forgot. Uh, yeah, thank you, David. Can you unmute yourself for a second and join this for a second? You mind unmuting yourself for a second? 0.2% of the world's population. 0.2%. So... Two-tenths of 1%. Two-tenths of 1%? Yes. Two-tenths of 1% needs... And that means that the other 99.8? That the other 99.8% the other 99.8% of humanity, which is the Africans watch CNN, everyone in the whole planet, people who have never heard of a Jew before, besides our medias, you know, and never would have and would, you know, God knows why they need to even know that such a thing as a Jew in the world, um, has to find out that you're probably going to die because of these people. 99.8% the world needs we'll to know. die because of 0.2 and then amongst those 0.2 how many of them are Hasidic even tinier I mean truth be told well I can tell you this I need you to do more math that's why I want your life your camp your vocals on okay this yeah, 85% of Jews aren't observant at all okay they're just completely right. non-observant so what's that number? Uh, right you now? want me to calculate uh, 0.15 of 0.02? It's 0.003. Okay. So now so we're at 0.097% of the world is not Orthodox Jewish. Yeah, but it goes even further because because guess what? Of the ones who are observant, it's only the black hat world. That's not that, the plan. So we're talking about nothing. We're talking about a grain of sand on the beach. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the nature of anti-Semitism, that CNN would print that. You understand? Now, I'm not saying CNN knows what they're doing. They're just seeing, they're probably reading other news stories, and they're all coming in, and they're like, you know, juggling them, and they're like, okay, here's a story about non-compliant Orthodox Jews. By the way, do you guys know how long it's been since they were non-compliant? I can tell you how long it's been. It's been since, I think that non-compliance ended about, maybe, what would you say, uh, give a nod, Shy. would you say five days ago, seven days ago, maybe? Because now it's full lockdown. You go into any Orthodox community, it is, it looks like there was a nuclear bomb blast yesterday. Every single one. Uh, Shia, would you say we got to a week yet? Would you nod that we're at a week or maybe six days that it's like that? About a week? 
maybe five, six days. So what the hell is CNN thinking now? You understand? Like, were they going to be helpful with, uh, with, with six day old news about point zero, 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 one percent of the, of, of the population? Well, the whole globe is panicking whether they're going to live or die. And you point to that little tiny grain of sand and say, they're the ones. They're well, the ones. Because non-compliance means proliferation. Rabbi, I'm not going to defend CNN, but they're trying to make, excuse the birds in the background, they're trying to make 15 minutes of worthy news spread out over 24 hours. So that's why they dig in the bottom of the barrel and find convenient stories. I'm not defending CNN. I'm just saying that's what the phenomenon yeah, no, no, is. I get it. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on over there for sure. And the, um, by the way, having heard his birds, meaning those are just the birds outside his house, right? So. No, the, those I'm, are my, those are my pet parakeets. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was going to have them guess what state you're in, but they're your own birds. So you could be in yeah. any state in the world. Yeah. The, uh, in Israel, we have the squawking going on all the time because we have parrots. Uh, did you guys know Israel has wild parrots? Beautiful, gorgeous green wild parrots there. They're so pretty and, and they're everywhere, you know, and, and you can tell they got a squawk like no other bird. And, um, uh, yeah, so, and Yoeli had sent a little comment. Let me pull it up. Unless you want to just unmute your mic and say it, Yoeli. Um, well, Chris Cuomo, who is one of CNN's nightly guys, uh, primetime, he's got coronavirus. And his brother, the governor of New York, told him a week ago, you shouldn't be with mom. It's a great interview between two brothers. And it showed that he was like, oh, I'm not going to get it. Now he's at home. So just the last 24 hours, it's a very interesting. He was interviewed by Sanjay Gupta and he's an emotional guy and he's very transparent. So he's also being transparent from his basement. He's as transparent as you are, Yom Tov. Well, maybe really? not I gotta, quite as, I gotta as check him out. you are. But he, you, in this interview now that he's got coronavirus, his, he's being very name? transparent. How do you spell his name? Cuomo. C-U-O-M-O. Chris. C-O-U-M-O. And, uh, or C-U, whatever. I'll figure it out. C-U-O-M-O. And the, okay, is his mom okay? So, so far, but it's that. interesting to watch the governor and one of the lead guys on CNN talk very openly on the news about how, uh, sensitive they are. It comes to their 90 year old mom and they're having an open dialogue. That hasn't happened either. One brother well, said, don't go, everybody... and the other brother said, they both wanted to love the mother. And one brother said, it's foolish, and the other brother said, it's not going to happen to us. And he had just done an interview with at one of the boats that arrived, and he was going to be on scene, and he had just visited his mother. So they don't know when he had it, when he didn't have it, but he's very um, vulnerable right now. Uh-huh. I'll check it out. That's uh, that's uh, the, sounds like a special. They're, they're calling all of this the great equalizer. Yeah, yeah. I used to say um, that about the mikvah because <laughs> you know it doesn't matter how long your beard is when you're naked in the water with your neighbors. You know you're just like 
You're just a human being, man. That's it. Like no big, no big hat. Mikvah before the mikvah. Yeah. <laughs> no big hat in this mikvah, you know. So, so the, uh, yeah, this is the great equalizer. And I want to just say something about being this transparent. Um, cause I'm, I am, I am that transparent. Um, it, I, you know, I am Californian. And so that's like part of it, obviously, is that. You know, Californians will tell you way more than you wanted to hear in the first place. But, but that's not what I want to tell you about. What I want to tell you about was that, um, and it's very opposite of East Coast, um, type of living. But now that we're all questioning everything about life. So if you're listening on the East Coast, maybe you want to think about this is, um, is that the, is that the, you, you would, you, I think what you're thinking is that if I was that transparent in my relationship with the world, that it would come back and bite me. You understand that, that, that would, it would have some kind of negative ramification and I would be paying for that. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm as grubby a character as you are. Like I'm, I'm just a normal human being. You know, I, I've got one really good thing on my side and that I live in Yerushalayim. So like, you know, think who my peers are. It's like, but again, I still look in the mirror and I don't see a tzaddik because it's easy to be a tzaddik in Yerushalayim. My goodness. You know, it's like when I, when I, when I do like two weeks of Shabbatones in America or whatever that one of those, sometimes the little town that hired me. So at the end of the Shabbos, they're all like, Oh, if only you could stay. You know, it's been so amazing. I'm like, you don't want me staying. You know, I don't have these kind of muscles, you know, because in Jerusalem, you do not have to develop spiritual muscles at all. It's just, I have to just be here, you know, and I don't have those muscles. I don't know how to live in New York, you know, as a spiritual man, you know, like not at all. And I always feel it's like an hourglass. The second I get off my flight at, at JFK or Newark, whatever, it's like the hourglass flips. And the sand starts going down and I can literally sense it after about two weeks. There's nothing left in me. And meaning, meaning as far as that muscle you need to live out there and be a spiritual and moral and a good person and stuff. And um, I mean, I'm kind of good through and through. So I don't know about the moral stuff. I've always been good since I was like a little kid and didn't even think there was a God. I was, I was a very good kid, but, but, uh, mischievous, but good. Anyway, what I want to say about the transparency is it's never bit me, not once. Never bit me, ever. No bites. Never been bit. I've been trolled, but that wasn't because of the transparency. Anyone who goes public the way I'm public is going to be trolled. You know, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. But, but, um, but, and you know, in a way, in a way, I think maybe my transparency spared me. Has, has literally saved me from trolls because like you have to be pretty evil to go after a guy who's, who's open and transparent. <laughs> you gotta be really bad, you know, and, and I have had people come after me a couple of times, though, 20, whatever years I'm doing this. The, um, but think about it. If you're not so transparent and you're doing, and you're very public though, because most public people are not very transparent. They're only letting you see what they want you to see. You get that? And so, and so when you're trolling, there's probably something to get there. You understand? You're, you're after something and you're not sure what it is, but you're going to take that guy down. Yeah. 
But, but, cause there probably is something there and you, who knows? Maybe you'll strike gold and take them down. But the, uh, when someone's like super transparent, so after a while, you just, you can't help but look yourself in the mirror and that, why am I after someone who's being open and honest? Okay. That was one thing. The other thing I want to say about it is, uh, is that when you're super transparent, um, you get another added, many added benefits, but another added benefit is that, um, you, you don't have to cover your tracks. You understand? You don't have to like try to remember what you said to this one, what you said to that one. You know, you, you don't have to, you're not like keeping track of, of different parts of you, you exposed. You get that? Like, so you can just relax, you know, you can just like, what you see is what you get, man. Like, like take it or leave it, you know? And you just like, you don't have to think. I never have to think when I fly into some city, what I, what I said to them last time. You understand? That's not the thought. You know, ever. And, and so that's another really added, great added benefit to that. Um, I don't feel less vulnerable. I feel the opposite. I feel people are, are, uh, feel much closer t- to me than, uh, I've noticed. Um, you know, I also have my favorite rabbis, but I feel like they're closer to me than I feel towards them because only as much as someone's transparent can you feel close to anyone. I mean, think about it. What is, what is closeness to another person? It's, you know, it's only in as much as they've exposed themselves to you. Can you feel close to me? And so, and so I think I'm, I'm experiencing a greater amount of love as a, re- as a result of my transparency as well. I mean, I, I just can't even come up with something negative about it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe because I'm Hasidic, it, it could be a, you know, it's a negative thing on, on, uh, on the Shidduchim, maybe on, on, you know, matches my kids will get, but think about it. Any family who doesn't want, what's real. I don't want my kids in that family. You get what I'm saying? You understand? Like it's, if anything, it's a, it filters out all the good families, right? Like I, I got, I, it's a perfect filter for all the good, all the good shidduchim, you know? So anyway, anyway, you slice it or dice it, being, being like honestly open about yourself is, is it's just good all around. It just works, you know, and it's, and it will only make your life better and happier. So maybe that's the, I'll end with that thought today. I don't even know what time it is. Um, does anyone know what time it is? Are we at the end of an hour yet? I didn't get very far with our prayer. Is it the end? Just give me a thumbs up, David, if we're at the end of an hour. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.